Amen. I love, I love that song. Mark's introduction to this message is a lot better than the message. <laughs> I'm going, oh, man. <clears throat> he used all these big words. Oh, my goodness. So uh, the letdown is coming. All right. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 11. Book of John, chapter 11, as we continue our study in the book of John. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We actually, there's only one Gospel, one Gospel message, that's what we've been saying. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John basically are the same stories. There's some variations, but basically the same stories from different stand, uh, viewpoints. But John is different. John records these miracles, these statements of Jesus that is not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And tonight we're going to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture because, as Mark said, we see a side of Jesus that we need. We're going to see a side of Jesus that we really need in our lives. Book of John. And I know it's a long chapter, or the long passage, but I want to read it just in case you've never heard this before. I want you to hear it as it unfolds. Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of the sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus, is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, also go, so that we may die with him. And so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into this world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me because of the people standing around. I say it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrapped around with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Pray with me. My Father, if we look at this story, let it become alive to us. That, Father, we will see the picture and understand the miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All through the book of John, we are seeing Jesus face different circumstances. All through the book of John, we're seeing how powerful Jesus is. We've seen that he has power over danger. We've seen how he has power over disease. We've seen how he has power over the demons. But this example is the greatest example of his power because this is power over death. I want you to think about that. Our Lord has power over death. And if you have power over death, you have power over any problem. I mean, if you have power to raise somebody from the dead, you can handle anything. This is the power of our Lord in John chapter 11. There is no problem greater than our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what your problem is today. Those watching online, I really don't care what your problem is because I know this. God has the power to help you. And I know that because he could raise somebody from the dead. And all through the book of John, we're seeing how Jesus meets problems. And so for the thirsty, he's the water of life. For the hungry, he's the bread of life. For the spiritually blind, he's the light of the world. For those who are without a guide, he said, I am the good shepherd. 
And for those who are dead and dying, he is the resurrection and life. I mean, there are 34 distinct miracles found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many go unrecorded. We know this. John tells us this. And John, in his book, is spotlighting only a handful. But let's just go back and look where we've come from in this series. I mean, in John chapter 2, the miracle began with Jesus turning water into wine, showing that he has power over the molecules. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals this nobleman's son who's a long distance away, showing that he is the lordship over the distances and supernaturally can do miracles from a long way off. In John chapter 5, we see that he has the power to change chronology because there was that person, 38 years of pain and suffering, that paralyzed man, Jesus healed and erased all of that. In John chapter 6, we see where he fed 5,000 with with five loaves and two fish, showing us that God's math is not our math because he's the Lord of multiplication. Then we saw how Jesus walked on water in the Sea of Galilee, showing us that he is the Lord over nature. Then in John chapter 9, we see him healing a blind man, showing that he has power over the human body, that he can cure illnesses. Over and over, we see how he is doing these great, incredible miracles. And now we come to the last of the miracles in the book of John. This is the climax of everything. This is the big one. This is the one he wants us to see the point. This is the miracle that is going to show us his glory and to prepare us for what's coming. This is a miracle. And remember, a miracle is a sign that Jesus is showing us so that we can understand him better. All the miracles point to him. This miracle is going to point to the resurrection. Jesus is showing that he has power over death and that there is no power over him. Now, this miracle is so important because this is the only miracle I know that you can't explain away. Because people try to explain away the miracles. I mean, the miracle of the water to the wine. Oh, I've heard, I've heard people say, oh, they had hidden the wine somewhere else, and they, that's what they brought out. The feeding of the 5,000. Oh, I've read where people said, oh, what happened was the boy shared his meal, and everyone shared their meal, and that's how he fed the 5,000. The healing of the sick. Oh, I've read. Oh, that's psychosomatic. They really weren't sick. They just thought they were sick, and Jesus did something to help them understand that it's just psychosomatic. The walking on the water, oh, I've heard the explanation. The disciples were confused. It was a storm. They didn't know what they were seeing. This miracle, he's been dead four days in a tomb. You can't explain away this miracle. I mean, this miracle is either true or they're lying. All the other miracles of Jesus, their explanation, but when we come to this miracle, there, I have not read one explanation of someone trying to explain it away except they're just lying or it's a parable. But this miracle draws a line in the sand showing us that this Lord Jesus is Lord of all. And every miracle of Jesus shows us who he is. Years ago, I did a series of messages on miracles. Let me remind you of what I said. A lot of people want a miracle in their life. And I tell people, don't pray for a miracle. You know why? Every miracle needs one thing. Remember what that was? Thank you very much. Needs a problem. Every miracle begins with a problem. I, I know people all the time, I'm praying for a miracle. No, what you're praying for is a problem. I don't pray for miracles. 
I'm praying for a miracle. That means I'm praying for a problem. God does miracles in our problems. If you already have a problem, then God can do a miracle. But don't pray for a miracle out of the blue because every, problem, every miracle begins with a problem. Here's the problem. Someone has died, and Jesus confronts death. So tonight, I want to look at this story. This is an incredible story. We're going to look really deep into the story, some things you may have missed through the years. It begins with the preparation for the miracle. The miracle begins in a critical situation. It says in verse 1, it introduces us to the people. Now, there was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha. And then it tells us who Mary was. She was the one who anointed Jesus' feet and wiped it, the feet with, his hair, with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, here's something I want you to notice. Sometimes we miss this. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, look at verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, there's a teaching here we miss sometimes. The love of Jesus Christ may include trouble for you short term. Did you notice that? His loving you sometimes produces experiences of pain or suffering short-term. Now, I know a lot of people have problems with that. They, they think, well, if you love Jesus, he loves you. You'll never have problems. You don't find that in Scripture. You love Jesus, he loves you. You might still go through troubles and, and, and trials and tribulation. Remember, that we studied the book of Acts. Look what happened to the apostles. Look what happened to the early church. Look what happened to Paul. Just because Jesus loves you and you love Jesus doesn't mean you're immune to the problems of this world. So they send this message to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus, you know, the one whom you love, he is sick. Now, what are they doing? They are saying to Jesus, he is sick. Will you do something? He's dying. So how does Jesus respond? Verse, verse 6, or verse 4, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, what we don't know is that the message he sent. We don't know that. Is that something he told the disciples? Is that something, a message he sent to them? We don't know. But he said, this sickness is not into death. And so Jesus, who knows all things, knows that he's sick, and he knows what's going to happen. And then verse 6 is a strange verse. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Some translations will put the word so. So when he heard that he was sick. That's strange. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus, the one who loves you, the one you love, he's sick. Therefore, Jesus said, all right, I'll just stay here two more days. Does that make sense to anyone? Jesus loves them. It says that in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And therefore, he stayed two days longer. How do you explain that? I mean, what is the point of this? What is Jesus trying to show us? I mean, Jesus is showing us that the delay to the point where the human mind can no longer see how he could possibly fulfill a promise. He's going to wait until he dies to do the miracle. But in that process, Lazarus is going to die. And there is Mary and Martha watching their brother die. 
And they're struggling with this. Mary and Martha are struggling with this. Their brother is sick. He's dying. They sent word to Jesus, and he hasn't come. Where is Jesus? Why did he show up? And not only that, when Jesus heard, he stayed where he was. Very strange situation. But it does remind us that we need to look at our circumstances of life through the love of Christ and not look at the love of Christ through our circumstances. You see the difference? Some people, they want to look at the love of Christ through the circumstances. Well, Christ loves me, but this is happening in my life, therefore Christ must not love me. They look at the love of Christ and then something bad happens well, wait a minute, how is this happening? If Christ really loved me, this wouldn't have happened. We don't do it that way. We look at every circumstances through the love of Christ. So whatever circumstances we're in, I know I'm going through this trial. I know I'm going through this tribulation. I know I'm going through this sickness, but Christ still loves me. That's how we look at it. And so Jesus hears this message that Lazarus is sick, and he stays two days longer. When we face delays and disappointments in life, those are not signs that God doesn't love us. When God waits, never forget he still loves you. When God delays, never forget that God loves you. He waits. Two days later, he tells the disciples, we need to go to Bethany. They didn't get it, so verse 13, he just very plainly said, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. Now, they had to ask the question, wait a minute, Lord, last time we was over there, they wanted to kill you. That's what we looked at last Sunday. Lord, they took up stones to kill you. If you go back, they're going to kill you. We can't go back there. And I promise you, one of the disciples, maybe all of the disciples are thinking, hey, Jesus, do you remember that nobleman's son? You said some words, and he was healed, and you didn't go there. Why don't you just say some words here and cure him? But he's dead. And Jesus waited. Verse 17, it says, by the time he got there, Lazarus had been buried four days. Now, let me tell you a legend. This is not true, okay? It's not true, but it's a legend. In Jesus' time period, some of the Jews believed that when you died, your soul stayed around for about three days. This is not true, okay? But that's what they believed. They, they, it was kind of a folklore that when someone died, they, they hanged around their body. Their spirit just kind of wanted to be close. So Jesus waited long enough that if anyone believed that, that took them out. It's kind of like the movie The Princess Bride. There's a scene in the movie Princess Bride, Wesley, who has died. They take him to Miracle Max. Some of you have seen the movie. Miracle Max says, you know, he said, he's dead. And Miracle Max said, oh, it just so happened your friend is mostly dead. There's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with the dead... You usually can only be one thing or the other. So, so in Jesus' day, there were some people, it's a legend, it's not true, 
they believe you're mostly dead. Maybe that's why Jesus waited this long. Because now there is no one with any excuse. And so Jesus comes into the situation. And he sees Mary and Martha. Verse 20. Martha is disappointed. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. By the way, did you notice that? Jesus is there. And Mary's thinking, what's the point? My brother's dead. Martha runs out to meet Jesus. Verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You hear that? God, where were you? If you'd been here, we sent you word. We sent you word and you weren't here. If you had been here, that's what Martha is saying. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She starts with disappointment. I'm disappointed in you, Jesus. But but yet she changed it in verse 22. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She starts with disappointment and she ends with diplomacy. Now I love it that Jesus doesn't condemn her. I mean, you would have thought this would have been the story. You know, Lord, if you had been here and Jesus said, wait, 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 don't, don't you know who I am? How dare you say that? How dare you question me? He doesn't. He allows her to speak her mind because she's hurting. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Sometimes when you face death, you say things to God. You don't mean, but you're angry. And God understands. God, if you had been here, God, you could have cured him. God, God, you could have stopped that car. God, you could have stopped him from being drowned. Whatever it may be, we all go through that anger period of grief. And sometimes we take it out on God, and God understands. Jesus understands. He doesn't correct her. Martha is disappointed. Mary is discouraged. Martha says to Mary, hey, Jesus is here to see you. And so Mary comes, and she runs up. In verse 28, she goes, and did you notice the question she asked? Verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet. By by the way, every time you see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. Every time. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. Same words that Martha said. But that's all she said. Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know who you are. But I know you're God. Mary, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Silence. In both of these, Jesus gives different answers. To Martha, he gives a theological answer. I am the resurrection and the life. I am I am, Martha. 
That is a statement of divinity. Why? Because Martha opened the door for him. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but now I know, but I, even now I know God can answer you. And, and so he gives a theological answer. But to Mary, he is silent to express compassion, to show his humanity. Sometimes when someone is hurting, especially in grief, you don't respond. You don't try to give answers. They don't want answers. They just want somebody there. They want someone to listen. He speaks to them differently. Mary and Martha are asking the same question. Where were you? If you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. But Martha says, I still have faith. Mary says, I don't know why you weren't here, but she doesn't add anything. Martha in her faith is ready for the theological answers. Mary in her grief is not ready for answers. She's just ready for compassion. Martha, in her faith, trusts Jesus no matter what. Mary, in her pain, is confused. Jesus knew what each one needed and gave it to them. It was Martha who expressed faith, and Jesus strengthened her. To Mary, he empathizes with her. When you are hurting, God will give you what you need the most. And notice for Mary, again, Jesus didn't push her aside. He listened to her. He felt her sorrow. And all he says is, where is he? Where is he? And they take him. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw the weeping and the Jews who was with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. The Greek language is much stronger. It means he was angry. He was deeply moved. It, 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 it's a word snorting like a horse, expressing displeasure. Jesus is mad right now. Why? I mean, why is he mad? Well, a couple of reasons. I mean, he's looking at the mourners. Back, by, by the way, back at the end of those days, you would hire mourners to come cry for you. I'm, I'm going to do that for mine, okay? I'll just tell you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm paying people to cry for mine, okay? Just telling you. Um, but in those days, and, and, and the more money you gave, the louder they were. It's possible these were some mourners they paid because the word they used, they are wailing uncontrollably. Remember how they saw Mary going to the tomb to grieve and they ran after her? So many scholars believe these are paid mourners. And here's Jesus at funeral. And here are these paid people who have no concern. They are wailing and making a spectacle. And Jesus is looking at them. He's looking at Mary who is hurting. And they, he's looking at them. He's angry at this situation. But then it says, as he is looking at them, he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. I mean, I can understand why he was angry, but I can't understand why he cried. I mean, why would Jesus cry at a funeral? I mean, he didn't cry for the death of Lazarus because he knows Scripture. Psalm 115.15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why would you cry for that? Book of Revelation 14, 13 said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. 
Jesus knows where Lazarus is. Lazarus is in paradise. Lazarus is in the perfect place. I mean, if, if you go on a cruise, I'm not crying for you. I'm crying for me because I'm not with you. If you, if you go to Australia, I'm not crying that you're going on a trip to Australia. I'm crying because I'm not going to Australia. Well, why would Jesus cry for Lazarus? So why was he crying? And by the way, that's the, the shortest verse of Scripture, but it says so much. Because when it says Jesus wept, it tells us two, really two things. Number one, he cried because of his humanity. Yes, he's sovereign God, but he was still human. And he demonstrated humanity in us, and he's giving to us the stamp of approval to share tears. It's okay to cry at a funeral. It's okay to cry when, when you're hurting. Jesus gives us permission by his example to cry. I'm so glad this verse is here. You know, I go to funeral, people try not to cry. Well, you know, you, cry, you can. Jesus did. But here's why I think he really cried. He cried because of the hurt of others. You go back and look at the passage, verse 33. He's looking at Mary. He's looking at the mourners. He's looking at Martha. Then he cries. Many times I've shed tears at funeral, not because of the person, because I know they're with Jesus. I'm crying because of the people they left behind, and I'm hurting for them. I'm crying because of a spouse behind, a child, a grandchild. I'm crying for them. I'm not crying for the person because they're with Jesus. But here's Jesus. He understands. I love verse 36. I tell you, I love this passage. The Jews were saying, see how he loved him. They're wrong. They're wrong. Did you notice it? past tense see how he loved him no Jesus loved him he's still around when people die they're still around when brothers and sisters in Christ die we still love them because we'll see them again he comes to the tomb and Jesus, again, verse 38, being deeply moved within. This is emotional. It says in verse 39, remove the stone. Now, we've said this before. Could Jesus have removed the stone? Absolutely. He could have called angels from heaven to come move the stone. I believe Jesus could could send a lightning bolt to destroy the stone. Jesus could probably move the stone himself. Why would he ask them to move the stone? Because there's a principle we find in Scripture, especially with miracles. God will do what God can do when we do what we can do. I can't raise the dead, but I can move a stone. So Jesus is saying, all right, move the stone. And then he says... He reminded them who he is. He has this prayer. And he, did you notice in the prayer he says, Lord, you know all this. I'm praying for them. I want them to know this is you. Verse 43, Lazarus, come forth. I love what one preacher said. He said hey, this was a personal call because if Jesus had simply said come forth, every tomb would have released the dead. Lazarus, 
come forth. And it's a powerful call. He brought him out of death and darkness into light and life. And then he tells them to unbind him. Why? Because God does what God can do when we can do what we can do. And you read the story, there's something missing. You read this story, you read all the miracle story, this story, something is missing. And once you see it, you can't get it out of your head. Lazarus never says thank you. All the other miracle stories, they're jumping for joy. I can walk. They're jumping for joy. I can see. They're jumping for joy because of the miracles. But this is the only miracle. There's no thank you. Is it possible? Lazarus wasn't that thankful. Lord, I was in paradise. I I was with Abraham. I was with Moses. You you brought me back. I got to die again. We don't know why Lazarus didn't say thank you. I've always wondered. And not only that, Lazarus really became a celebrity. He didn't want that. But he never says a word in Scripture. So what's the purpose of the miracle? I mean, every miracle has a purpose, and it's pretty simple what this one is. Jesus has the power over death. Later in the story, we're going to see Jesus going to the cross to lay down his life, and on the third day he will rise. Lazarus is going to die again. Jesus will not. You see, the resurrection is the key to everything. You take the resurrection out of Scripture, we have nothing. You take the resurrection out of the Jesus story, we don't follow Jesus. The resurrection is everything. Everything about our faith is based on the resurrection. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not an event. It is a person. The resurrection is not what he does, it's who he is. This miracle, it points to that resurrection. So he can make that bold claim to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, do you believe this? And she said, oh, yes, Lord. Jesus didn't just die on a cross to make bad people good. He walked out of the tomb to bring dead people to life. That's what he does for us. He changes us. We are dead in sin. We are destined for hell. And he gives us life. That's the story. And he's preparing the people for the resurrection when he comes out of the tomb. In 17th century London, it was stricken with a plague called the Black Death. Many of you have heard of it. First case happened in May of 1664. The next year, about 600 people have died. By June 1665, the number about 6,000. Then it was 17,000. The month of August, 13, I mean 31,000 people alone died that month. And people started fleeing the cities. So we got to get out of here. The problem was they were spreading the disease. 
speculation, about 70,000 people died of the Black Death. Now, it was called the Black Death, a little trivia, for two reasons. One, the, the victim was, was marked with this large black splotches all over their bodies. The other reason it was called the Black Death was the ignorance of the people. Because they thought the Black Death was because of the pollution, the soot, soot from, from, from the chimneys. And, and so it was carried in the air. What we know now, it was carried by fleas from rats. That's how the Black Death is spread. So they try to figure out how to stop the Black Death. And so doctors thought, okay, it's from the pollution, so you got to counteract the pollution. And they had some techniques for this. And one, they had this ritual. They, they promised it would be a cure. You, you go to a rose garden because roses smell good. You go out and you smell roses. And so they would take patients out to the rose garden, and, and they would form a circle around the roses and hold hand and breathe in the rose aroma, saying that's going to cure the black plague. They thought this would just replace that junk in your lungs. And so the doctors, when they would make house calls, would literally take rose petals and stuff them in their pockets. And when they visit patients who were too ill to go outside, they would sprinkle these rose petals around the sick on the bed so they could smell the, the roses. And then if they were really close to death, they'd take these, these rose petals and, and they would uh, burn them and take the ashes and they would put the ashes underneath their nose so when they take a breath, they're hoping they would sneeze because they thought if you sneeze with the rose petal, you would get rid of the black death. You realize none of this works, right? Okay, I don't see anybody taking notes. Okay. People had the plague still died. But because of that, he gave birth to a nursery rhyme. Started by a man pushing a death cart of bodies. As he loaded the bodies on the, on the cart from the plague victims, as he walked down the street, he started saying, ring around the roses, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Isn't strange? An innocent little nursery rhyme would begin because of death. And the truth of that nursery rhyme is true. We all fall down. We all will die physically unless Christ returns. But because of Jesus, we can have life. We can have life because Jesus is the resurrection. If you have never given your life to Christ in a personal way, you can have that life. If you're watching online, if you want to give your life to Christ, just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here tonight and you want to give your life to Christ in a personal way, as we begin singing, I'll be at the front. Just come to the front and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I believe he's the resurrection and the life. Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the meaning of the resurrection. We thank you, Father, for the meaning of the cross. And, Father, we pray now that as we think about this story this coming week, John chapter 11, that you have power over death. That means you have power over everything. Let us submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.